the Changelog, episode 0.1.3. I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Wynn Nedlin, and this is the Changelog, bringing you what's fresh and new in the world of open source. We follow the projects and people of open source software. You can check us out at thechangelog.com, or for a real-time view, tail.thechangelog.com. You can also check us out at, uh, at GitHub, too, as well, at uh, github.com forward slash explore. Uh, you can check out some uh, trending repos there, a la GitHub, or some feature repos from our blog, thechangelog.com. And you can also check out some of the latest episodes of The Changelog right there for your listening pleasure. And we're also on the Twitter at Changelog Show. And you can follow me personally. I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. And where do you tweet, Adam? I'm, uh, I'm Adam Stack on Twitter, Adam S-T-A-C. Very cool. We've got a good episode this week. Talk to Luigi Montanez and Jeremy Carbaugh from Sunlight Labs. Yeah, they're doing some pretty cool stuff in open source, huh? In- they are. A ton of projects out on the GitHub. The GitHub. <laughs> TheGitHub.com forward slash Sunlight Labs. Yeah, they got 63 repos last time I checked. And one of the more interesting ones we didn't talk about uh, in the interview, I wish we would have had a chance, um, but 63 repos, you can't talk about all of those in, in one interview. Uh, Real-Time Congress at realtimecongress.org. It's an iPhone app built with Titanium Accelerator, which we talked about in episode 0.0.8, I believe, with Marshall Culpepper. Yeah, yeah. Very cool framework to build iPhone apps with um, technology that you probably already know, web development technologies, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. But real-time Congress allows you to keep tabs on those you've elected and sent to D.C. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, it's pretty cool, too, how we mentioned their, you know, them being like a multi-language kind of environment, how they support each other and how they play well together. Yeah, could you believe we had a Rubius and a Pythonista on the same show for nearly an hour and no fights? No fights. I see. That's how that's how it really is out there in the world with the Ruby and Python. There, there's no need for fights. I think we probably cut it, but we ended up singing Kumbaya at the end of the episode. Uh, yeah. It's pretty fun. We, we cracked up the, the, uh, the gin and tonic and sang. Good times. You know, uh, what they do at Sunlight Labs is their mission is to open up government shine a light on a lot of the data within our government, and you know, more and more this is being exposed via APIs. And since we last spoke with these guys, since we recorded the episode, business.gov released an API we should mention for small business resources in our own government, and this is hot on the heels of uh, data.gov.uk over across the pond. So hopefully we're, we're seeing a trend of government transparency and, and data being exposed so that you know people in the private sector or even hobbyists can build mashups using this data. Yeah, I certainly agree. I think uh, one of the pieces we talked to them about, too, was the Open Data Initiative and how that relates to just uh, people being able to use and consume and, and use this data coming from government and uh, also how that relates to Homeland Security, which is kind of wild. Yeah, it's our government. should be our data, right? Yeah, I suppose so. Why not? So we had a great interview. Should we get to it? Yeah, why not? We're joined today by Luigi Montanez and Jeremy Carbaugh from the Sunlight Foundation. Now, Luigi, why don't you introduce yourself and tell the folks who you are and what you do at Sunlight? Great. Thanks, Wen. Um, my name is Luigi, and I am a software developer at the Sunlight Foundation. And uh, I specifically focus on Ruby, but um, JavaScript and other things like that. And we also have Python developers on staff, too. Um, at the Sunlight Foundation, we're a nonpartisan, nonprofit um, organization, and we're based in Washington, D.C. And we basically push for open government and government transparency through technology. Um, so Jeremy and I are in uh, the technical wing of the foundation. We call ourselves the Sunlight Labs. But we also have policy experts on staff who kind of advise and lobby Congress or advise uh, the uh, administration. We have journalists on staff who do investigative journalism, uh, you know, digging up dirt, digging up stories. And uh, we also have some um, social media folks who kind of reach out to uh, citizens through the internet and get support for uh, government transparency, uh, our government transparency efforts and things like that. All right. How about you, Jeremy? What's your background, and how'd you come to join Sunlight? Uh, well, I actually came from the dark side. I was a government contractor for a number of years and uh, had to repent for my sins, so I came to work for <laughs> the Sunlight Foundation and open up some government. Uh, I'm primarily a web developer here. Uh, I do mainly Python work, uh, specifically Django, and uh, 
do a lot of some of the uh, more nerdier front end stuff as well. So just JavaScript and uh, help people with CSS issues. And Luigi, you'd call yourself a Rubyist, right? Yes, I am. And you guys still talk to each other? <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we share the same office, and it's uh, <laughs> it's it's fine. There's no problems. We we can coexist. Yes. <laughs> Well, if you go out to uh, the Sunlight Labs GitHub page, and that's at github.com forward slash Sunlight Labs, quite a number of projects that you guys have. Any of these that uh, you'd like to highlight for the listeners? Yeah, so I, I guess one of the uh, – a few of the better ones we have, uh, there's a project called Anthill. Um, we we made that to uh, help us create the, the Sunlight Labs site. And what it does is it provides a bunch of uh, views and models in Django for uh, working with community. So uh, there's there's profile pages uh, to create events, um, to create projects and have people associate themselves with different projects. Um, and that that one's been pretty good because uh, it's actually been picked up by some other organizations. Um, some uh, within government as well are taking a look at it uh, as ways to create community around their their data or their projects. Um, one of the other Django specific ones is uh, a personal favorite of mine, Django Media Sync, and uh, it's it's one that we use here on all of our uh, Python projects. But what it does is it manages the um, uh, the the media locations uh, between development and uh, production. So uh, it, it helps you sync your media to production and intelligently switches all of your paths based on whether you are developing or actually running the application. Um, not really government transparency related, but at least helps us uh, develop all of our stuff here much more quickly. How big is your team and what's the, the breakdown as far as Python and Ruby? Any other languages that you guys have as well? Uh, it's we are mainly Python and Ruby. Uh, I think we're about thirteen people right now in the labs. I think we're actually more. We're sixteen. Oh wow. Okay. Um, I think we're somewhere around six or seven uh, uh, Python developers. Uh, what are we? Four Ruby developers now. Three. Three. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we also have two designers, um, and then of course our boss. And I'm probably forgetting a few other people here, but that's the rough breakdown. And one thing to uh, I've noticed is that we both of us, both of us who worked on the Ruby Rail side and those of those of us who work on the uh, Python Django side, we kind of like share a common bond around, I guess, around the web, right? So around RESTful APIs and around, of course, JavaScript. Um, so you know, both. It's you know, I think it's really great to that we work in an environment where we have you know both Python and Ruby. Um, and we we really um, are able to kind of unite around things that um, we can interoperate, you know, like technology that interoperate well. So RESTful APIs and JSON, and we lo- we all love JSON here, and um, we all you know like JavaScript, and we're looking into you know working with more JavaScript even on the server side. And I know that uh, the changelog has been focusing on that, that stuff a lot recently. You know, and that's how I found you, um, I guess a couple of years ago, or maybe even 18 months ago or so, was w- through the Sunlight Labs API that you mentioned. Um, right. And that is at services.sunlightlabs.com forward slash API. Um, talk a bit about what the API does and, and sort of the technology behind it. Sure. So um, it is a, it is, it's a Django app and um, but it's a RESTful API, and it follows pretty good, uh, you know, conventions. Um, it speaks both XML and JSON, and as, what it does is it's really about members of Congress. So if you ever needed um, to do things like uh, get take a, a, an address, uh, you know, an, an unformatted address string, or a uh, uh, or uh, latitude longitude um, coordinates. And find out, you know, exactly which members of Congress um, represent this particular spot. Um, you can do that with our API, and you can also do things like pass in um, names. And it's pretty good with things like um, the difference between uh, um, Jack Murtha and John Murtha. Obviously, they're the same person, but um, uh, it does good nickname uh, standardization. 
So it's uh, there are there. I wrote the Ruby wrapper. Um, there's a Python wrapper for it, and there are also there's also a Java wrapper. And are there any more? I think that's about it. You said PHP. Oh, PHP. PHP of course. Wrapper. There's a PHP wrapper too, and um, it supports JSONP. So if you ever need to just use uh, you know hit it via client side JavaScript, um, it works. It works really well that way too. And for those that don't know, JSONP is JSON with padding, so it's essentially making the same API call that you would normally make to get that, that JSON formatted uh, JavaScript object notation back, but you can pass a callback function, and it will wrap it in that, so you can do neat uh, cross-site uh, domain calls. A lot of uh, APIs are starting to support this. So we talked a little bit about the, the back-end pieces of Python and Ruby, and you mentioned a few designers what kind of uh, front end technologies do you guys dabble in? And like, specifically, like, uh, are you dealing with any sort of CSS meta frameworks like SAS, Compass, Less CSS, XCSS? I'm not sure if any of the Ruby projects have uh, tried it, but um, we've actually tried to stay away from it. Our our designers really like their CSS and HTML, so uh, we've proposed it to them, but they've they've resisted a little bit. Do they leverage any sort of frameworks like Blueprint or? Uh, no, we. Uh, I think Eric Meyer had a, a CSS reset uh, based style sheet. Um, we tend to use that, but otherwise, uh, homegrown CSS. Yeah, homegrown CSS. Uh, yeah. JavaScript side, we mainly use jQuery. Um, been using some underscore.js lately, which has been fantastic. I was hoping that you might have mentioned Node there because uh, I thought you were going to say that we mentioned. Node quite a bit lately on the changelog. I think this is probably like the sixth podcast straight that we've mentioned Node.js. You guys dabble in that much at all? Uh, we just played with it. I've played it with it personally. I think also Jeremy has. Um, it's you know the idea of writing end-to-end JavaScript is a great one. I think maybe we're all in the same boat where we we're just starting to play with it. Um, I I personally want to try and uh, write a uh, an analytics service um, using Node. Um, just because I think the uh, the events model would, I'm sure that's what Google Analytics uses. So um, it would be really interesting to to try that out with Node. You guys mentioned earlier that uh, that you're you know you play well together Ruby Python. And there's no there's no fights, and I guess in your in your world you're also nonpartisan, so that kind of plays right into it. Uh, and that's something we hear back from our our listener base that. Uh, they get really excited when it's not just about Ruby because Ruby tends to get highlighted quite a bit. But it's kind of nice to hear you guys say that you're you know you don't fight and you play really well and you have a lot of the synergies between you know you know I guess your morals your developer morals right right yeah I mean I think both you know both languages both frameworks have you know great ideas and um, I I remember a few months ago there was a post by one of the, the Django lead developers. Um, who kind of said he was kind of saying you know the, the great things we've learned from and can learn from Rails and at uh, at RubyConf this past November in in San Francisco Chris Wanstroth who I know you guys had on earlier um, he gave a talk called ripping off Python to a room full of Rubyists so you know there's both both languages are great and um, there's there's no need to have any silly spats or disputes you know one thing that i love about development is code is more than just code it um in the case of github code is is sharing right uh, many would say code is also art but in your case code is activism um right. why do you think that um developers should apply their skills towards a cause that's close to their heart well um i think for for developers who might not have dabbled into open source as much as they want. So maybe they haven't contributed as much or maybe they haven't found the courage yet to just put out their own code out there. Um, I think working on open government and what we call civic, you know, civic applications or sometimes I call it civic hacking um, is, a, is a really great first step because not only does it benefit the developer for you know, taking that first step and putting open source out there, 
um, it's going to de- it's going to benefit his community, like real people in his community, whether it be some like local app. So so one example of a, of a civic app is um, a a pothole reporter to your local city government, right? So if people come across potholes, maybe um, you can create a really simple interface that will maybe we're dealing with city government here, so maybe it'll just email some some um, city worker and tell him. Hey, there's a pothole on this street or this corner, um, and that's a really simple app that any any you know uh, web developer can can uh, slap together really quickly. And when you do something like that um, and you make it open source, that means other people around the country or even around the world can share it or, or excuse me can use it uh, for their own purposes. And maybe you make it better. And it also means that you're helping people around you and people in your community. Um, with their day-to-day lives, so I speak from the from a, a Rubyist point of view. You know, there's there's so many, let's say, Ruby uh, testing frameworks, right? So, do we really need another Ruby testing framework, or do we need something that you know can really um, change lives around you? And that's why uh, that's why we like talking about civic civic hacking. And we've also found that you know. You could rely on government transparency organizations to get government data and interpret it for uh, for the public, but it's a very ineffective way of doing it. You know, if if we can work to make the data available and then work to create a community around that data, uh, there's infinitely more ways that that data can be used, and uh, infinite more uh, an infinite larger number of applications that can be used. Uh, to, like Luigi said, make people's lives better. You see, you guys are in, in D.C., right? So what is, uh, what is your focus? Is it, uh, is it on the federal, the state, or is it uh, kind of more localized? So when we started out, uh, we were focused primarily on uh, the legislative branch of the federal government. Uh, we've actually expanded over the past year. So we've started focusing on the uh, the executive branch and also state government as well. Um, we're not as active in state government yet. Um, one of our projects that we're working on is the 50 states project. And um, what that is, is an effort to create parsers to scrape uh, the legislation that every state has. Um, there's practically no consistency uh, between any of the state gov- state governments as to how they publish their legislation, if they publish it at all. So uh, this project is to scrape it, uh, bring it all in, and present it in a common format uh, so that if you wanted to uh, you know, find out the laws in each state, you would have a consistent mean of doing so. And Jeremy just brought out a really um, good point that reminded me. So another great benefit to like a, a developer doing civic hacking is that we're I really mean hacking. So uh, he was talking about the 50 State Project where we have to scrape, essentially scrape websites of um, all, all 50 states and, and figure out how to get their, the, the actual text of their bills into you know, machine-readable uh, machine formats. And that's a really great skill for a web developer to have to, you know, to do scraping. Um, another skill you'll probably gain is working with really big data sets and imperfect data sets and you know that's that's how it is in the real world and um, those are skills that you can market you know you can market yourself um uh, as having after you've you know done some some apps like these you know one of the growing trends has been the government 2.0 space as it's called um you know a lot of what you're doing is having to scrape web 1.0 websites to get the data that you need for these particular types of applications. But how do you see um, the development of technology behind the government firewall uh, changing the landscape for your type of apps going forward? Well, I think um, the recent, uh, with the Obama administration, they've, they've been very um, in tune with the needs and the kind of demands of the government 2.0 um, movements. And of course they're not, they're, not at all perfect, and we'd love to see much more out of them. Um, but uh, things like data.gov um, are a huge step. So data.gov is um, a, a data catalog of all, uh, not all, but many um, data sets that the, f- the federal executive branch puts out. So all the departments, like the Department of 
Commerce, um, the Census Bureau, um, the EPA, things like that. Um, they've they've started publishing their data, um, and there was recently something called the Open Government Directive, which was um, which came from the White House, and it, it was essentially a, a memo to all heads of all the major agencies that said um, you have to on your website um, have a slash open page. So, um, so for example, the uh, State Department is at state.gov. So the State Department is now mandated to have a web page at state.gov slash open. And um, I'm actually not sure if they put it up yet, but um, that page is to contain um, links to data sets that you are publishing, uh, data sets that should be you know useful for developers and for researchers to um, remix and to reuse. And also have on your slash open page um, information about how, you know, how how the public should work with your your uh, your department and how they should communicate with you, and that's what you know. That's really what we mean when we say transparency, right? You're just making government more accessible and making it so that citizens um, can really see you know see the value that they're getting out of of government. When we talk about this openness and we talk about citizens, how do we know it's the right citizens getting a hold of this data. What kind of data is available, and sure. and what can you really do with that data? Like, what if somebody from a different country did it for the wrong right. reasons? Right. So when we say open data, we we definitely mean um, we do, we don't mean anything any anything sensitive intelligence wise or um, defense wise, or and we definitely don't mean anything personally identifiable. Like we don't we don't want the IRS releasing you know people's tax returns, things like that. What we mean is are things like how, um, like let's say the federal budget, right? There's a lot, the federal budget was just released this past week. There's a lot of data in there. There's a lot of you know, money being spent. We'd like to get a really clear picture about how that, where, where that money is going to, how it's being spent. Um, things like uh, campaign contributions to members of Congress. Uh, we want to know uh, you know who's contributing and how much they're contributing, um, which industries are giving to which congressional candidates, because we can see you know that based on what money a, a particular member of Congress might receive for their campaign, they might be inclined to vote one way or the other when it comes to legislation. We actually had uh, two contests here at the Sunlight Labs. Um, we call it Apps for America, and um, I actually think Wynn was a participant in uh, the first one. And Apps for America is essentially a, uh, just a, a development contest, an app development contest. And we gave away cash prizes. And um, it was essentially, you know, use some government data sets that is, is either from government or is from a uh, transparency group like the Sunlight Foundation that we also have some partner groups out there. And do something useful with that um, with that data. So if you go to, I believe, sunlightlabs.com slash apps for America, let me just double check that URL. Um, you'll see uh, the results of, you'll see the, the page and the re- results of our, our first contest. And another event that you guys have is the Great American Hackathon. Is that an annual event or? Uh, yes. So um, this past uh, December, we had a kind of a distributed nationwide hackathon uh, called the Great American Hackathon. And it was our first annual hackathon. So our plan, of course, is to make, um, make this a regular, hopefully an annual or even more frequent occurrence. And uh, the idea was that we wanted to get people who are into open government, who are developers together in one place in the same city and just let them you know, meet each other and start working on some projects. And we had some pretty good projects that came out of it. Um, there was uh, a uh, out in the Silk, in Silicon Valley. There was a uh, a NASA NASA attended. It was an official NASA event, but it was a NASA attended uh, hackathon, and they worked on uh, on things to make NASA better. And there were employees from NASA there. Um, and then we had a lot of other hackathons across the country in Chicago, New York, um, Philly, and um, 
we had a great one in Phoenix. So, you know, there's definitely people um, out there. And I think at this point, I, I should actually plug our website, sunlightlabs.com, because uh, it's, it's a system where developers can register and they can see um, existing projects or they can make their own projects. They can find other like-minded developers, people who, who are into this. Um, and you can even post events. So it's, it's a bit like a, a, little, a little social network we, bit, we built on our website. And it's, really, it's there really to, to just serve um, the community and help people find each other and help people get uh, ideas on what to work on. I was going to ask you also, I guess this probably answers that question, but how are you guys driving awareness about these kinds of events and how to you know, reach out to individuals who might be interested in it but aren't really in that circle quite yet? How do you reach out and engage developers to get involved? That's actually a, a difficult problem that we are trying to solve. Uh, so we do go to local meetups here in the D.C. area, um, uh, various language-specific or even just general technology groups, uh, We've uh, sponsored some um, uh, code sprints at various conferences, um, and we've actually tried to get different partners. Uh, so, like for the Great American Hackathons, uh, we partnered with Mozilla, Red Hat, um, and Google, and among a few others, uh, and trying to get them to help uh, or at least advertise some of these events to their community as well. Um, so we're always looking for ways that we can uh, let the development community know more about what we're working on. Uh, if I could also just mention that I see O'Reilly's name there as a listed sponsor. So I guess having Gov 2.0 conferences every year is uh, is a pretty good way to drive awareness as well, right? Yes, that absolutely helps, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean when you have uh, uh, people like the O'Reilly folks uh, that are you know really spearheading the effort, that always helps to get the tech community to uh, pay attention to it. You know, on on the note of Tim O'Reilly, just going back maybe, I don't know, five years when the, the term was coined, you know, Web 2.0, I thought it was kind of wild that everybody sort of clung to that term and it was about, you know, Ajax and JavaScript and this asynchronous way of, uh, you know, having your interface talk to the back end and, and all that good stuff. But, you know, one of the things that Tim really drove home with that term was just having this uh, this connected web, this, you know, this web as a platform. And he's always been a proponent for uh, the good side of technology and always helping you know people live better lives through technology. Yeah, he's been um, he's been a huge huge supporter of us, and um, he comes he's he came to uh, Transparency Camp. Our, we have a we have a bar camp like event. Uh, we had two last year, um, and he came to those. And um, he's I think O'Reilly. Publishing is publishing a book soon called Open Government, um, which is a, a kind of an, an anthology about these topics. And um, if you if you read um, the O'Reilly Radar blog, um, they they talk about Gov two O and and transparency um, topics very often there. Um, and I, one of the great analogies that Tim O'Reilly has kind of talked about a lot about this topic is that um, governments, um, we can't think of government as a vending machine where we kind of just put money in it and expect something we to come out, right? We just can't, we just can't uh, maybe shake it a little bit if it doesn't do what we want and expect something to fall out. Uh, we, we really need to uh, be actively involved in government. And as technologists, as developers, that means, uh, you know, lending our skills to uh, making um, kind of you know the change that that you'd want to see, and we you know we have the skills to do it, and um, uh, it's now just a matter of harnessing that energy and you know moving forward. Yeah, actually, the book that you mentioned uh, got a chapter coming out in that book. I'm not sure. Oh, that's one. right. It's uh, I think it's due out later this month uh, about Tweet Congress, a site that we built um, primarily on top of the Sunlight API. So. It's amazing that uh, you have an idea for a site that, in our case, we just wanted to let folks find their Congress representatives on on Twitter, and you know we didn't have to start from scratch because you guys already had excellent seed data. But the the big missing piece you alluded to earlier was to be able to put in a, a formatted or unformatted uh, address string and get a list of Congress people back was was just amazing. So. 
kudos to you guys for uh, for having apps out there like that because you know the mashups are just powerful that you can build and you, if you see something's wrong with your government you can step in and at least try to make it better in some way. Yeah, and I'd also like to point out that uh, you know when we talk a lot about uh, campaign contribution data or earmark data, it, it can give the impression that it's we're made, you know we're out there to do you know gotcha journalism or, you know, try to do muckraking. And, uh, you know, while, of course, that is part of it, you know, it's it's also about having having trust in your government. And we, we really feel that when when you feel like you're involved, when, uh, when you can see how your government is working, when you can see why it's making the decisions that it does, and, uh, you know, it, it, it helps the public have a, a greater trust and a, uh, feel more involved with the actions of the government. And what better way to see how your government is working than the actual data byproducts that it produces? Well, yes, you really can't hide from, you know, the pure data that comes out of it. It's, it's analytical. You can comb through it. You can parse it. You can track it. You can do a bunch of stuff with it that uh, you just can't hide from the truth. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so, you know, if you're looking at why EPA makes the decisions that it does, when you have, when, when you're able to get access to the raw data that they base their decisions on, uh, you know, you can see if they made bad decisions or if you see that they've made good decisions. It it does help, you know, make the public trust, uh, you know, the agencies and government more. You know, one of my uh, favorite applications is Capital Words. Is this one of your apps or you guys sponsor this in some way? No, that is one of our apps. Uh, one of our developers here, Josh Ruley, uh he had the idea for it. Um, we have another application called LewisDB that scrapes the Federal Register and a bunch of other um, government publications. And uh, the Federal Register uh, also contains like what was said on the House floor. So uh, Josh had the great idea of wanting to know who said what. So Capital Words analyzes... Uh, the Federal Register to see how many times people have used different words. So you can go on, uh, you can look at uh, different members of Congress and see what words they most frequently use on the House floor. Um, you can uh, look up specific words and see who uses them. You can compare the usage of different words across time. Um, it, it's it's pretty amazing. Well, as Adam knows, I'm an API junkie and also a political junkie, so this is kind of a, a uh, mashup of, of two uh, things that I really enjoy doing at capitalwords.org forward slash API. And that's capital as in the capital dome with an O. Right. Uh, they have a cool map there on the right hand side. You can see the most vocal States uh, from the uh, congressional record and glad that Texas is representing there with the dark red color. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How often is this updated? <laughs> um, I believe that it's updated nightly. Um, the the underlying data is updated every day, and um, if if I recall correctly, I think the the data is processed nightly. And you also get the list of uh, most used words there. That's just it's incredible to see um, our uh, congressional record just map like this. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see uh, trends in government. Uh, um, I, I can't remember the exact word. There's some energy related word. It might be oil. It might be something else. But uh, the price of gas. Is that it? Price of gas? Something like that. I'd have to look it up. But it's uh, you can basically see that pretty much the same time every year these these topics are going to come up. Uh, if you search for marriage, uh, you see that there's a huge spike right before uh, congressional elections, and then it basically falls to the wayside uh, afterwards. So um, it, it can reveal some interesting insights into you know the politics of what Congress is talking about. Right, and also if you um, yeah if you search for energy or gas prices, um, those are much more likely to be said in Congress um, during the summer months because that's when, of course, gas prices are on everyone's mind. Um, and so what, the congressional record is essentially what you see on C-SPAN. So when you see you know a member of Congress on the, on the floor of the of the House or the Senate and they're they're talking, and sometimes it seems like they're talking to an empty room, but um, that all gets transcribed, and we take all those transcriptions, and that's that's what powers Capital Words. So, in addition to Capital Words, you have Open Secrets and Maplight. Why don't you talk about two of those real quick? Uh, well, those actually aren't our projects. Um, we're we are a grant giving organization as well. So, uh, those are two partners that we've worked with. Uh, we've given both of them grants, and 
we also collaborate on uh, various projects and data as well. Um, but Maplight is great. Um, they started out in California uh, looking at uh, the different support for bills uh, amongst different corporations and different organizations and basically mapping campaign contributions uh, to uh, uh, representatives uh, based on, you know, their final vote and the, uh, you know, the support for or against the bill by the companies that were giving them money. Um, and they've expanded to some federal data as well. So that's, that's a really amazing project. Another um, really popular site that's, that's a partner of ours that is called Open Congress, um, opencongress.org. And um, this site essentially is, I, I like to think of it as what um, the Congress's website should be. So at Open Congress, you can essentially, on their front page, they, they link you the, you know, the full text of the legislation that's being um, considered for passage in the House or the Senate. So right there, you can you can read it. Um, you can you know, there's a lot in the news these days. There's a lot of uh, talk and punditry about what is or is not in bills or what it means. But here at, uh, on Open Congress, you can actually read the text for yourself. Um, it's a really nice UI, and um, you know you can just you know see see just the raw data right because it's it's this is what it is and it's unfiltered and you know it's it lets the citizens access it um you know at the at the base level so this is uh this is something you guys do opencongress.org so this is a partner of ours um and so we give them grants and um uh we uh you know we we help them we advise them and uh, things like that. And this, I, this is, I should mention, a Rails app. So a little, a little awesome. plug for myself. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the other really great thing about Open Congress is uh, you're, you're able to go on and not only just comment uh, on the bill itself, but actually go down to very, like each paragraph of the bill. And you can have discussions about certain topics, uh, uh, you know, as to whether this paragraph is needed, how it could be changed to, uh, you know, make the bill better. Um, so it's... It's not only is it there to help you, re, uh, you know, get information about bills, but it's it's a great way for people to actually interact. Um, now, if only Congress took that uh, feedback and made changes from it, that'd be fantastic. But uh, you know, that's something we can work on. It's a fantastic site, absolutely fantastic. You know, when we launched TweetCongress.org um, late last year, or I guess the year before last, now uh, one of the the things that surprised us was. Uh, overseas, we had uh, kind of sister sites that cropped up, people that wanted to do the same thing for their country. So they sought us out to to uh, compare ideas. And you know, a, a lot of them have uh, created sites that far surpass what Tweet Congress does. Uh, to what extent do you guys talk to folks in other governments overseas? Uh, we actually have had some uh, communication with other governments and specifically other other groups in other countries that are working to open their governments as well. Um, it's it's really not our focus, uh, so um, you know we don't do any d- work directly with that. But uh, we're always looking to cooperate on you know different methods, uh, tactics, applications, um, you know best practices for getting data out of government. I know that in um, the UK, uh, for listeners in the UK, there's there's a really good group called My Society, which uh, does a lot of the same kinds of work kind of work that we do um and uh recently in the uk um they actually released something called their own site called data.gov.uk um and that's that's just really notable because um it's one of the advisors or the main drivers behind that site is tim berners lee who is uh, essentially the the inventor of the World Wide web he's he's the guy who who i think developed http spec um, and he's now really into the semantic web, and, and he's he's worked a lot with uh, the open government folks in in the UK on these things. Um, and there's also there's also a, a Canadian group called Visible Government. Um, I think there's also one in New Zealand called uh, Open New Zealand. And so these things are you know popping up all across the world. Um, at Sunlight, we we mainly focus on the US, um, but. There's, you know, there's starting to be uh, groups like us all over the place now. Yeah, data.gov.uk is a fantastic uh, resource, and I think the contrast is this is 
government-sponsored and government-led as opposed to you guys trying to, to kind of open up the government. To what extent does our government here in the States offer traditional what we would call APIs and, and as opposed to just you know giving you the data in some raw format that you have to parse? Uh, well, you know, it, it's not that often that they have APIs for data that we would like to have. Um, and even if they provide things like bulk downloads, it's often in very arcane formats. Um, if you try to get campaign finance contribution from the FEC, uh, it's, a, it's a COBOL fixed width format. And each, of, each individual record uh, could be in one of over 20 different formats. Uh, and it's really arcane, no documentation. So uh, even when data is provided, it's not often, you know, uh, very easy to use. Um, but it's, it's easy to assume that, uh, you know, either government's doing this on purpose to keep things hidden or that they just don't have an interest in it. And I think one of the main things that we have found, uh, is that it's not so much an issue of that, but, uh, you know, government just really doesn't know how to do it or know, um, you know, what the open government groups want from them. Um, and a lot of agencies that we've come to, uh, talk to have actually been quite open to uh, making some changes and um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty encouraging. What do you think will change that landscape? Um, what, what has to happen for new projects to, to be open from the get go and, and publish as much data as they present? I think we just uh, need to keep pushing them. And we, the biggest thing, especially what we do SI, is we, sh- we give real examples um, of how data can be useful and how it can um, really uh, how, how we can make that data relevant to the average citizen. So at Sunlight, our, like our designers, um, they do something called redesign the government. So if you've ever tried to go to a government website, it probably wasn't the, the nicest uh, user experience. And uh, so one thing our, our designers do is they take existing websites and do some mock-ups um, on how, you know, w- what a really good user experience for that website would be. Um, and then on our end, for the developers, uh, the sites we work on, the apps we work on, like Capital Words or the Sunlight API, they all serve, or, or and also all the Apps for America entries, which I talked about earlier, they all serve as kind of an example as, hey, you know, this stuff... Um, can be done. It can be done by um, developers who are really essentially you know, volunteer developers working on something um, on their own time, or you know they're they're in small organizations like Sunlight. Where, you know, there's only you know, 15 or 16 of us right now. Um, they're not in huge government government bureaucracies. They're not in huge consulting firms. Um, this is something that. Uh, you know the the internet and open technologies and open standards are all things that make things a lot more qu- easy to build and a lot quicker to build and a lot cheaper to build so once you kind of you know make that argument and it's just, it's really just a matter of uh, kind of making the argument over and over again and you know just making it very apparent to um to those within government and to with to you know to citizens that you know there's there's a better way with IT in government and um you know we're we're trying to show them that and i think it's also important to to realize that government technology is very different from uh you know the technology that we use on a, on a day-to-day basis or even the communities that we are involved with um uh, I don't want to generalize, but there are probably quite a few uh, government developers that just have never heard of JSON or REST APIs. Um, so th- there is there also is a process of uh, you know helping government um, learn about new technologies, uh, new ways of providing data, uh, and you know new ways that citizens can interact with government. How does open source impact this? Because if you caught the headline recently over at Mashable. There was a, a headline that said, you know, why open source in the new software policy or why open source is the new software policy for San Francisco. And you see, you know, government start to step up and say open source is more useful and, and we should really leverage it and, 
that obviously helps the communities grow and helps foster new, you know, new, um, um, new communication between different developers, and it just fosters lots of lots of great stuff. How does that uh, that impact that that piece there to to help people learn? There's different ways to do things, and there's new ways that we should be uh, looking at uh, technologies. I think the obvious um, benefit is that open source can be you know reused by um, other other governments and other agencies. So uh, a, a problem with government bureaucracies a lot of times is that they're very compartmentalized. So, you know, one department has their way of doing things and another department has their way of doing things and, uh, you know, the two, the two don't talk. Um, and as we've seen with the open source model in, you know, our world, um, that's, you know, uh, software that can be shared and reused and uh, modified um, is incredibly you know, beneficial to all of us. So the idea is that um, that open source in you know open source software, uh, let's say a let's say a, a transit app in for the city of San Francisco, if that's open source, maybe Washington D.C. or maybe New York can take that app and modify it slightly for their needs, and then release a very similar app. So it you know should benefit everyone and so it's almost a conversation through code because like win said earlier right. you know open source uh you guys use it as activism in, in your roles and it's like you know day in and day out you guys get to use open source as your day jobs but it's uh, it's communicating it's you know software essentially becomes the the means to communicate right exactly uh one one project that actually comes to my, my mind um it's this is also a, a group we work with um they're called code for america and um, Code for America, I think it's codeformarket.org, they are um, essentially creating developer teams to uh, drop into cities. Um, I think they're going to start in 2011, and they're going to start recruiting developers this year. And essentially, these teams of developers are going to live in a particular city for, about, for most of the year and just work on open source apps in service of that city. Um, and they are going to, you know, they're going to, talk to each other and they're going to see where they can um where the different teams can uh can collaborate and um it should it should be a really great project and i i look forward to seeing what comes out of it that's so that's called code for america if anyone's interested and another way that open source really helps out um is also from our perspective looking into government uh kind of like how Luigi said that uh, redesigning the government series is a great way to show concrete examples of, you know, this is how it can be done. Uh, you know, I think open source apps uh, that use government data can also uh, be a great example of how things should be done. Um, and if they are open source, then it actually opens up the possibility that the government could actually reuse these applications uh, at some point in the future, um, which would be great. So if someone wants to go to their local meetup, their Ruby meetup, their Python meetup, and and uh, get their buddies together and, and they've got an idea and they want to um, work on something, what what steps do they need to take? What kind of support can they get from Sunlight to uh, kind of point them in the right direction? Well, we have the, uh, the sunlightlabs.com site. Um, up there we have a list of projects that we sponsor and also different projects that the community is working on. Um, you can also find events in your area and also find other people that have registered uh, as part of the community uh, within your area. Um, so that, that's a great way to find people and, and various projects to work on. So we also have a, a Google group, um, and you can see that the link to that on our website. And we, are also, we also have an IRC channel on Freenode. It's uh, Pound Transparency. And... Um, the uh, anyone interested can go in that and and you know we're on Twitter we're on Sunlight Labs and um, uh, if you if you're interested in any of this just literally just just talk to us and we're going to help you I mean part of, part of our job more than just developers is to you know get other developers um, engaged and involved in what we do and we're we're more than happy to talk to anyone. Um, with any project's ideas, no matter how how kooky you might think it is, it's it'll probably be a really good idea. Have you seen this expand in any way in any of these cities where uh, developers from different backgrounds might be coming together just and having meetups around 
you know, open government? I know that from the Great American Hackathon, which we had um, in December, uh, we had a lot of um, a lot of energy around the, the Silicon Valley uh, NASA um, meetup, or excuse me, the hackathon. And um, there's also an organization in New York City called Top Labs, T O P P Labs, and they do a lot of the kind of same work we do, but at the at the city level. And I, I wouldn't say that our communities are as, I guess, organized as Ruby or Python communities are yet, because, you know, those are kind of general language meetups and um, they, they attract a broad audience. But I think, you know, it's, it's getting a lot better and a lot of people are really uh, being turned on to what we do. And um, hopefully throughout this year and the coming years, we're just going to keep growing and growing our community. You know, they say all politics is local, and uh, right. hopefully this will be something that develops into that, where we see um, you know, communities that, that kind of crop up to tackle some of these problems, especially at the local level, so that we can uh, use our skills and kind of fix some of the problems we're seeing. Exactly. So we're probably to the point of this show where we ask you what is on your open source radar. So we know that you guys create a lot of open source software, you, know, you consume a lot of open source software. What gets you excited and what do you see in the next, you know, six to six months to a year that you really want to tackle and start using? So for me, something I, I recently got into um, just over the weekend, really, because it was, have you guys talked about the iPad yet on the show? I, I think this show has been iPad free. <laughs> um, but uh, so in in response to the iPad um, last week, I the next day I I kind of. Subcon- I don't know if it was subconsciously or, or consciously, but I, um, I got a netbook because I, I wanted a, a small a small computer that I can work on at home and um, not have to drag my, my MacBook Pro back and forth on my daily commute. So uh, I got a little netbook and I, um, I, I started looking into installing uh, Chromium OS on it. And so I'm... I'm I'm just at the beginning stages of, of learning about Chromium and, um, you know, the the kind of setup they have there. But um, I'm really psyched about it, and I think um, uh, it's it's a great project. And it's you know it's it's definitely uh, a lower level. It's an OS, or of course, so it's a, it's a lower level thing um, than you know my day job, which is is essentially web development. Um, so it's it's something that I hope to you know really get into and learn about uh, in the coming weeks. Where do you see the sweet spot being for that particular OS? Um, I think it's really, of course, it's, it's meant for netbooks. That's what they, they push it as. Um, one thing that I was really surprised at was you know, to, to actually build Chromium, you, you need to have Ubuntu uh, Karmic on it, the, the latest Ubuntu. And so actually I first installed um, Ubuntu Karmic and there's actually a... Uh, what they call a netbook remix version of Ubuntu, and I installed it, and I the the interface is really interesting. It's actually it's an interface that you actually want to touch. Like it's they have very big buttons, and um, it's just the menus are laid out in a way that it's it seems like hey, this should this should be really a touchscreen here. Um, so it kind of makes me think that both Ubuntu um, netbook remix and maybe Chrome. Uh, excuse me, Chromium. They 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 definitely want you to just call it Chromium because Chrome is actually the the end product, and Chromium is the the open source p- project name. Um, so both Ubuntu and Chromium are, I think, are really uh, heading towards the the touch tablet market or maybe touch screen netbooks. Um, I'm not you know entirely sure how technology has uh, advanced in regards to that yet, but um, I think that something as a developer to you know really keep keep your eye on is the the kind of natural computing interfaces like like touch and even maybe even something like um like voice because if if you've used um the voice recognition on the uh the Google Nexus 1 you know it's it's a it's a pretty nice way to interact with with your phone um you can kind of dictate your tweets and it 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 works really, really well. Um, so those 
things like that. Um, you know, getting a, maybe getting a little bit away from the web world and and more into the the physical computing world. That's that's something that's on my on my uh, on my radar. How about you, Jeremy? Uh, well, one thing that's made my life a whole lot easier over the past few months is uh, it's a Python package called SauceBrush, and uh, it was actually written by uh, one of our coworkers here in the labs, James Turk. Uh, but it's it's a very lightweight uh, ETL uh, framework for Python, uh, where it lets you create uh, these recipes of like input sources and output sources and different filters to apply to your data. Um, and so, if you have a very large data set that you want to process, that you want to transform, or uh, change it into a you know a different format, insert it into a database, uh, it's it's a really Really, really fantastic uh, framework for just making these simple recipes to uh, manage your data. Um, other than that, I've been using Homebrew on uh, the Mac for managing uh, packages and everything, and that has been amazing. Um, Python is uh, has has some issues with uh, its database drivers; uh, they can be notoriously difficult to uh, get installed, but um, with homebrew, everything just works, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, we featured homebrew in the last uh, episode. It's it's one of those things that I think it's a pain point that a lot of folks in the Mac OS have, and hopefully it's uh, making a dent in that pain, just making package man- management uh, simpler. You know, it's one of the things that when I moved to the Mac from uh, the PC platform because I was kind of straddling Windows and, and Linux there for a while, you know, I was just amazed that having a Unix-based OS and, and OS 10, that there was no robust package management like what you found on Ubuntu or some of the other Linux distros. Yeah, and the, the, there is Fink and Mac ports, but uh, they're they're quite heavy-handed in in how they install the packages and how they change your system. So, I mean, Homebrew is great and how uh, fairly hands-off it is and standalone. You know, with uh, with those though, it's amazing that. They're still not distributing binaries with those. Right. Yeah. They're still compiling from source. So you do you know a port install, um, like Zapian or something like that, and mm-hmm. then leave it for an hour and come back, and it's still chewing on the install. Right. <laughs> well, you guys are doing some exciting work. Uh, we're anxious to see what becomes of the uh, hackathons this year and the uh, Apps for America three. Uh, I know that. Uh, I'll be participating in, in some way in either of both of those, and I know folks listening uh, are probably excited about how they can uh, jump on board and participate in some of these open government uh, initiatives. Yeah, don't count me out. I want to get involved too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do need designers and lightweight copywriters. Uh, you know, we didn't get to talk. I mean, we've we've gone on pretty long here, but I mean, that one uh, uh, OpenCongress.org that was. I mean, that was a beautiful UI. I just, you know, if we had more time to talk about, it, I would I would have loved to pick your guys' brain about. Uh, p- picture brains about you know the design process behind some of the applications, but maybe that's uh, maybe that's something that uh, maybe you can answer via like uh, text or something like that. We can attach as a, sh- a show note or something. Sure. Yeah, sure. And uh, I'd also say just uh, stay tuned to some of our contests. I can't really talk too much about them just yet, but we're, we are going to try to uh, also get designers involved in the community as well. So. That'd be awesome. I mean, yeah, I don't have the the back end rail skills like a lot of you guys have, but. I certainly have some good front-end skills that uh, could be leveraged. But you guys also have uh, something called Transparency Camp coming up. Do you want to, guys want to mention that before we head off? Yeah, that would be great. Um, so at Sunlight, we're, we're hosting a, uh, an unconference called Transparency Camp, much like uh, bar camps that have been around. And uh, it's at transparencycamp.org. And uh, it's going to be in late March, March 27th to the 28th. And it's going to be here in D.C. Um, and Everyone listening is in the area who who might be in the area or who may even want to make the trip are uh, more than welcome to to join us. Um, it should be a really eye opening um, experience. And um, I, I remember at last year's Transparency Camp here in DC, people like Tim O'Reilly were were here, and Craig Newmark from Craigslist were here, and people who work in the government come, and you can really get a sense of you know what what it's going to take to uh, bring uh, government transparency um, you know, to our, our governments. And it's, it's a great and awesome conference, and I'd recommend it to everyone. In addition to Transparency Camp, I know that uh, you'll be speaking at Los Angeles RubyConf. Is that right? Yes, I am. Um, I think it's uh, February 19th and 20th um, is uh, LA RubyConf in Burbank. And I'll 
actually be talking about this topic, uh, civic hacking over there. Um, and so that should be really fun. And I, I look forward to going to LA um, as here in DC, it's been snowing and, and cold and miserable. <laughs> what about you, Jeremy? You heading to PyCon? I, I will be there. Uh, last year we did hold a Sunlight Labs uh, uh, sprint, but I don't believe we're doing that this year. So uh, there'll be a contingent of Sunlight Labs developers there, but just attending. Luigi, Jeremy, it was really awesome for you guys to take you know the hour and eighteen minutes out of your lives to sit down and chat with me and win. I know that our audience certainly appreciates it, and you know we uh, open source lovers uh, certainly appreciate what you're doing for our government and keeping it open and making it more open and and uh, everything you're doing, especially that that it fuels your passion. The open source is your passion. It's that's so awesome that you guys to get to do that every day. I mean, that's, that's such an awesome job. But yeah, thank thanks. you so much for coming on the show. It's it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. to this edition of the changelog point your browser to tail.thechangelog.com to find out what's going on right now in open source also be sure to head to github.com forward slash explore to catch up on trending and feature repos as well as the latest episodes of the changelog log.